Well, good morning again. Thanks to the band. I felt a little sitting out there in the uh, chairs as if I was getting a, a one personal concert from you this morning. So um, even though I couldn't sing because I would have been picked up by the mics, it was still a refreshing thing to be able to be here and to hear the songs that we sing sung. And I hope that was the same for you that are, are with us in the live stream. Um, I have never done this before, speaking to you guys on camera. Um, I have never spoken to a camera at length. In fact, I don't know that I've ever really spoken to a camera. Um, so I will do my best. Uh, there's a few people here in the crowd, and I will do my best to try to look at you guys as well. Um, I'll try to remember that you're there, um, and just bear with me as I, as I work through this. So, all right, coronavirus. That seems to be the, the topic of the of the society, right? <clears throat> um, the Longs, we're one of those families where this hasn't really impacted us greatly. Um, I'm working from home. I've put on a little bit more weight that I lost in my dad bod reduction program um, because I eat a lot when I work from home. So I'm kind of hoping that we can get back to work and I can get back into that swing of things. Um, but I was talking to my barber this week and I recognize that a lot of people um, are being impacted by this. Uh, she is going to have to quit working at the end of the week or, or as of now, and that's her sole source of income. And, you know, I was talking to her. I was just kind of sharing with her my, my comfort that I get from the sovereignty of God and all of this. Um, and it, that was a, a, a new thought to her. Um, you know, it was something where she's like, wow, I wish I had that kind of faith because then I wouldn't be as worried as I am. And um, it just, it really struck me. It's like, well, there are people that are really impacted by this. There are people that are losing their jobs and I pray that we would pray for them. I pray that in what way that we can, we could help them. Um, and I know that even again, many people in our congregation are being impacted by this. So, um, so it's very heavy on my heart in that sense, but I, I chose not to update my sermon and make it about the coronavirus today. Um, largely uh, because I'm ready to move on. I've heard enough about it. <laughs> but for the, for the primary reason is that I believe that what I'm going to say today has a lot to do with the coronavirus. It's, I'm going to be speaking about the sufficiency of Scripture and, um, and my confidence in the Lord, my confidence in the sovereignty of God comes from Scripture. Um, John has read Psalm 46 and shared that with us a lot, and um, I'm going to read Psalm 91 later um, this morning. And so um, we're just going to go with what I had planned to preach last week. Um, I think there hope, there's hopefully great value and, and benefit to that for you. So um, last time I um, had the privilege of preaching, I was in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Um, today we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, I don't really know why I keep getting drawn into 2 Timothy in my scripture meditations, but I came up here dehydrated. That's not a good start. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I keep getting drawn into 2 Timothy um, in my meditations on scripture, but I do. It's been a blessing to me, and I hope that it will be as well for you. If you're lucky like me and you have one of the church Bibles, you know, as John always tells us, it's page 996, but um, let's read this passage. <clears throat> but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, 
lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Jannes and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. <clears throat> but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for your word. Your word tells us that it is sufficient for all things for us to live our lives and for us to be able to pursue godliness. And we just pray that as we study it, as we reflect on this passage that you yourself had put into your word, that it would just speak to us, that it would help us to see this truth and that we would have confidence and trust and rest in your word. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. So popularity contests, they seem to be prevalent things in our lives, right? Um, there's popular people out there. For the Canadians in the crowd, I've heard that Justin Trudeau is, is quite the popular politician. Um, many people swoon over him for some reason. Um, there's popularity in high school, right? I was not one of those popular kids. Um, that hit my sister and my brother. It skipped me. I was a full-on nerd um, in high school. I bear it proudly. Um, but uh, popular things, right? They, they tend to rise to the surface when we ask each other questions like, hey, what's your favorite food? What's your favorite color? What's your favorite sports team? Um, what's your favorite genre of music? And we, we answer those questions. Do you like Star Trek or Star Wars? Well, obviously it's Star Trek. I don't know why anyone would think the other is better. But um, do you like, <laughs> some of you are shaking your head, no, of course, Coke or Pepsi? Well, clearly it's Dr. Pepper. Um, I mean, that's obvious. Um, dogs or cats? I don't know why anyone would have a cat, personally. Um, I'm allergic to them, but dogs are clearly better. Soccer or football? Who cares? Um, you know, that would be my point of view. Who's your favorite kid? Um, okay, yeah, 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 don't, don't go to that one. You can't pick favorites with your children. But we, of course, even have our favorite Bible verses. Um, mine has always been John 17, 3. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Um, yes, memorized in the King James. And so we have these favorite Bible verses, and it's just reality. Some of our favorite Bible verses or some Bible verses tend to stand out more than others do. 
And 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 is, of course, one of them. Um, if you went through Awana, and boy, I really hope that you're, if you have children, you're sending your kids to Awana. What a great program. Um, many of the verses I have memorized, I memorized when I was a young kid in, in Awana. They're, they're the ones I don't forget. But 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 was one of those passages. But I do think we do ourselves a disservice when we focus on just the popular verse and we ignore the surrounding context that we find that verse to be in. So my outline is pretty simple this morning. There is the first point, and that is dealing with the sting of sin. The sting of sin. And the second point is going to be the solution of Scripture. The solution of Scripture. And the premise of this chapter goes like this. Here's what sin looks like. Um, and godless people specifically. Godless people lead others astray, and we're to avoid them. But Timothy's been given a positive example in Paul, in his teaching, his conduct, his aim in life, his faith, his patience, his love, steadfastness, how he handled his persecutions and the sufferings along the way. And finally, Scripture has a role in helping us deal with the sting of sin, which is what 2 Timothy 3.16 is about. But again, we're going to take a look at the surrounding context so that we can give greater depth to the meaning of this verse that we, we, we so commonly see. So, let's start with the sting of sin. Look at that list. <laughs> That's a heavy list, isn't it? I mean, Paul tells us there at the beginning, in the last days, they're going to become, become times of difficulty. And this is where I think, as we go through this passage, the, the situation we're experiencing right now in our society with this coronavirus disease is very applicable to us, because at the end of the day, the coronavirus is the curse of sin on this world. We don't know how it came about in, in the eyes of God and creation, but we do know that it wasn't intended to cause death because death is a result of sin. Sin hurts. Sin destroys. Sin wounds. It deceives. Well, sin, it's, it's just painful. Sin is just painful. And this list here gives us something that every one of us in the room on the live stream today that we, that we can identify with. I want you to protect your heart as I go through the list and as we kind of expand on it a bit. Protect your heart from bitterness by avoiding naming a name of somebody that you recall has done one of these things to you. That's just not helpful to us. All of us in some way, shape, or form have done some of these sinful things to others. All of us, because we live in a fallen world, have had these things done to us. But it's just not helpful to allow those things to come back, the pain and the anger to swell back up. So fight that temptation. But there is a reality that sin hurts. And sin is something that causes pain. And we live in a fallen world, and we will be sinned against by those that are just simply out there to destroy us and by those that love us. So what kind of godlessness or is out there, what kind of sin is out there that's going to hurt us? Well, as we see in this passage, there's lovers of self. Um, this is kind of the root of the rest of all of these descriptions, people who care only about themselves. Um, they use others for their own purposes. Um, these are the people right now that are hoarding all the toilet paper, right? They, they're not considering the needs of other people in our society, and that right now it's a little hard to get those shelves stocked. There's lovers of money that are going to oftentimes, these are the people that will step over us on, on the way up the ladder at work. These are the people that are just simply going to steal from us. These are, these are the times when people will fail to honor their workmanship because it's just too costly to, to, to fix. 
There's proud people that boast about their successes. They, their boasting makes you feel inferior. They're, they're, uh, they're, they lack humility, and they run over your heart and your needs and, and your desires. There's arrogant people that place themselves above you. Um, they make sure you know your place, and they want to make sure you realize how much you don't measure up. I mean, how much has that happened to you, and how much have you felt the sting of that pain? There's abusive people. And this is a verbal abuse. Um, it's, this isn't really, this is, that's the, the meaning of the word here. It's not speaking about physical abuse, although that does happen. Um, I recall as a young kid um, being intensely bullied when I was in junior high and early high school. <coughs> and uh, to this day, those words hurt, right? I mean, if somebody can say something to me now that reminds me of those moments, and I still feel that pain. Now, I'm not holding bitterness against these people. I don't even remember their names. Um, okay, I know <laughs> you guys are like, you can't take credit for that one. You don't remember anyone's name. Fair enough. But the point is, is that, you know, these things happen. They come to you like later, 30 years down the road, and we recognize the pain that sin causes in our life. Well, I don't have time to go through all of these this morning. Um, real quickly, though, ungrateful people, they, they hurt you by neglecting to thank you for what you've done. Um, brutal people that just don't consider the welfare of others. Treacherous people, those are the kind that hurt you with malice even. There's reckless people who hasn't had a headstrong or a rash, um, thoughtless person fail to consider the impact of their actions on you. People whose love of pleasure overrules their love of God. And in so doing, they may be unfaithful to you as a spouse. Um, they may ignore you in order that they will be able to just simply serve their own desires. And that hurts. So whenever I read through these lists of sins in the Bible, it's, it's just always so heavy to me because I can feel the pain that this causes me. I can feel the pain it causes you and others. And Paul even tells Timothy that these people have an appearance of godliness, but they deny its power and to avoid such people. He tells Titus, just a page over in your Bible, that there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers. They profess to know God but they deny him in their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Now, oh, them are strong words. Those are really strong words. And that's because Paul didn't mess around with sin, and neither should we, because it leads people astray from the truth and the gospel, as Paul writes there in verse 6. <clears throat> now, I know some of you might be thinking when you read verse 6, he kind of seems to throw women under the bus here, right? Calling them weak women, um, as if there isn't any such thing as weak men, right? That are burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. And of course there are. There are, of course, men that can be described that way. And it's helpful to know that Paul is using a word here, and this is the only place that it's found in the Bible, um, that is used in other writings of the time that refer to a very specific group of women. And we don't necessarily know the details there, but just know that he is not referring to women in a, in a general way and in a derogatory or derisive way. So please, don't, don't take it that way if, if that's the way it comes across. So sin is destructive. It's painful. And as Wesley says in The Princess Bride, life is pain, Highness, and anyone that tells you differently is trying to sell you something. Of course, we know that his philosophy of life is, is incorrect. It's very wrong. Life is joyful, right? But only in the context of our obedience to Christ. Life is joyful, but only in the context that those around us are being obedient to Christ. And when we live in a community that is tainted by sin, 
well, it's going to impact us, and it's going to hurt. And so what do we do with that? Well, this is where I think Paul gives great advice, and this is, this is quite honestly, when I read through this um, recently in my scripture reading, that I just saw this in a way that I'd never seen it before, and I'm grateful to the Lord for that. Because what he does is he points him to Scripture. He's sitting there showing Timothy, here's how, here's how sin has hurt you, Timothy. But here's what you do with that. You go to Scripture. You go to Scripture. Let me show you how that works is what Paul says. And as he does that, he gives two primary examples. He uses himself, Paul does, and then he uses Scripture. And so we'll deal with both of those. Now, I've been given the advice that as, as I teach and preach that I should never use myself as a positive example. And I think that's great, that's great advice. Um, and so <clears throat> the guy that's given me that advice is in the room, maybe. maybe. I don't know. Anyway, Paul gets a pass here, though, okay? Why? Because Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Um, and Because he, he essentially tells Timothy in a nutshell, my life is a positive example. Emulate that. And so Paul's teaching, his conduct, his aim in life, his faith, his patience, his love, his steadfastness, the persecutions and sufferings that he goes through, all of that pointed to how we can overcome the sting of sin in our life. Paul served as a very strong spiritual mentor to Timothy, and it was a beneficial thing to him. And so right away, I see an application for us here in our lives. And so I strongly encourage each of you to have a spiritual mentor in your life. No matter how old you are, no matter how mature in Christ you are, you will benefit from having a spiritual mentor like Timothy did in Paul. Someone that influences you, that you trust, that speaks into your life, that encourages you, that rebukes you when it's necessary. But overall, they just care for you. Well, I've had a few of these in my life. Um, I won't speak of any of the current ones to avoid embarrassing people, but um, I do remember a couple in my past, a man named Kent. And this is a man that I had met. He was one of my college professors. He's a very godly man that, um, that influenced me greatly. He was always someone that I could seek advice from when, as a young man while I was going through my college years. He helped me as well through a particular time where I had become entrapped in sin. In fact, a couple years ago, I was eating dinner with him and his family, and he, he, he recalled telling me, he goes, when you first came into my office, you were all but hanging on to Christianity with nothing but your fingernails on the edge of that cliff. But through his faithful advice, his prayer, his example of life, I learned, I grew, and my faith was restored. And one thing that I always remember about Kent was whenever he would ask me out to breakfast, um, it reminds me of a current time in my life whenever my coworkers, they, when I mess something up or I do something stupid, they, they always will say to me, you done messed up, A.A. Ron. And so if you're not familiar with that, it comes from a skit online. I don't necessarily endorse it. It doesn't have the cleanest dialogue. Um, but it is about an inner city t um, teacher, a substitute teacher that goes to teach in a suburban classroom. And he mispronounces everybody's name. And so there's Jacqueline, who became Jay Quellen, and Blake, that becomes Balaki, and Denise, that becomes Denise, and Aaron, becomes A.A. Ron, Timothy, becomes Timothy. And so, um, anyway, we're a small club that just instantly gets it. I mean, honestly, I can go to a restaurant, and I can have a waitress, and if her name is Jacqueline, I can say, Jay Quellen, A.A. Ron, and like, we just immediately get each other. Um, anyway, back to my point, whenever, whenever Kent would, would ask me to go to breakfast, I always knew in my head he had done messed up, A.A. Ron. 
Because here was this godly man who loved me greatly, a spiritual mentor that had seen something in my life and he wanted to rebuke me. And he wanted to correct me. And it was always done in a Christ-honoring way. It always edified me. It hurt. I mean, who, who likes seeing their sin, right? Who likes being told the, the things that they've done wrong? And generally speaking, it was always in how I was being a terrible husband to Carrie. <laughs> so, um, but I so greatly appreciate that man in my life. God used him mightily to shape me into what I am today. I remember a man named Chuck. And this was a man who uh, took me aside one morning at church, and he said he wanted to disciple me. And I had no idea what that meant, but it seemed like something I needed. So I was like, sure. Well, over the years, Chuck taught me how to teach the Bible. He taught me how to study the Bible. He taught me how to pray, how to share my faith, how to disciple others. My passion for one-on-one -on -one discipleship is directly a result of this man's ministry in my life. My email tagline, the gospel changes everything. If you've ever got an email from me from church, you'll see that on there. Um, not original with me. I stole it from Chuck. <laughs> so you can see how much my life has been impacted. My marriage is much stronger because of the advice and encouragement that he gave me as a young husband. And so I personally have benefited greatly from spiritual mentors in my life. And so I encourage you guys to, to find one. Now, to be clear, I am not asking anyone, especially those of you on the live stream that have access to your computer right now, do not go Google spiritual mentor and pick the one with the highest ratings. No, that's a bad idea. Uh, you'll end up in a spiritual pickle quickly. Like you're going to end up with somebody who's just some psychic, new-agey kind of person that walks around barefoot, overstretches their body in $200 Lululemon pants, says things like spiritual but not religious. Bad idea. Don't do that. Why? Because Paul, the Bible right here, gives us a perfect example of what we should look for in a spiritual mentor, right? And so these qualities stand in much contrast to the list of sins that he just gave. And so number one, his teaching was one, his teaching. That was well documented for us in Scripture, Paul's teaching. And so find a mentor that is going to teach you the Bible faithfully. If a spiritual mentor ever tells you something that you find contrary to God's word, dump them quickly. I recall once Carrie being given the advice to leave me by her spiritual mentor at the time, as in, like, leave me, divorce. Um, now, to be fair, I was being a jerk, right? I've not always been the best husband. I've learned a few things in our 22 years of marriage, but in our early years, it was rough, right? As it generally is. Um, but regardless of how I was behaving at the time, that was terrible advice. It was counter to Scripture, and it should have never have been offered. And she, of course, ceased to be a spiritual mentor to my life, to my wife. Paul's conduct was also something to emulate. His life backed up what he preached. He told the Thessalonians, You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers. He told the Corinthians, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. He told the Philippians, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. He later tells Timothy, Set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. There is a strong teaching in Scripture that we are to model our lives after men and women who model their lives after Christ. And we see that over and over. So Paul's aim in life, or his life purpose, it just never wavered. 
He was single-mindedly focused on doing the will of God. His faith was clear in that he didn't resort to disgraceful or underhanded ways. Um, he didn't practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. And this was because he knew that the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes was in the gospel message, and he did not need to tamper with it. He didn't need to help it out any. His patience was clear in how he treated the Corinthians, a lot of believers that had nothing but criticism for him, but yet he loved them over and over without question. He was steadfast against the charges of the Sanhedrin <clears throat> later, um, sorry, he never compromised the truth in those charges to gain any kind of personal advantage, even though he could have later on his way to Rome to, um, before, for his trial before Caesar. Um, he was steadfast in his witness to those that um, he stood before, but he was also steadfast to his witness even on the boat. And if you recall the story there in Acts 22, I think, 21, somewhere around there, um, he, he's, on, he's on his way to Rome, they get into a big storm, and the boat's going to sink. And, 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 and Paul basically is not shaken. He's steadfast. Why? Because he had been told by God that he would stand before Caesar, and no force of nature was going to make that not happen. And so what does he do? He convinces everybody to stay in a boat that was surely doomed, and it did crash, but he said, you got to stay in the boat if you want to live. And he was able to do that steadfastly because of his faith and his confidence in God. Through beatings, betrayals, and great persecutions and suffering, he never wavered from the truth that God had appointed him to speak to the nations. And he was able, at the end of his life, later in this letter, tell Timothy, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. He was steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Paul was a good spiritual mentor, and he served as one to Timothy. He helped Timothy navigate through the pain that sin had caused him and how false teachers were plaguing him. And these spiritual mentors, these faithful men and women in our lives, they serve to teach us, to encourage us, to rebuke us, to pray for us as we grow in Christ-likeness. So find a spiritual mentor like Paul, someone who's a good teacher, a life and purpose worth emulating, someone with a strong faith, great patience, deep love, strong conviction in the word, and one who's willing to suffer for the sake of Christ. Ask one of us pastors if, if somebody is a good fit, if, if you need input on one or you need match to one, or if, you, if you're thinking of somebody like, hey, would they be a good, a good fit for me? Um, be always abounding in the work of the Lord and serve as a spiritual mentor. It's an incredibly important component in our life. Parents, you are spiritual mentors to your children by the way you live and by the way you show. So now this brings us to our final point, um, and that's Scripture's role in protecting us from the sting of sin. So let's read verses 14 through 17 again just to get that fresh in our mind. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So here you have it. 
Timothy is experiencing the pain of sin in his life and all these godless people are attacking him, his ministry, the people he cares and loves. And what does Paul tell him to do? But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. It's pretty simple at the end of the day. If you think about it, Paul was a good spiritual mentor to Timothy. He taught him well. And now he just simply says, continue in those things. So what has he learned? Well, it tells us the sacred writings. And what are those sacred writings capable of doing? Granting him all he needs to be wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Timothy doesn't need anything else is what Paul is saying. And salvation, as we know, is the ultimate cure for sin. It's the ultimate resolution of sin. We've been talking about the pain of sin. And the only way to alleviate that pain is to remove it. And the only way to remove the pain of sin is to remove sin itself. How do we do that? Well, I'm glad you're asking that question because I want to answer that for you. Jesus. That's the answer, right? I mean, that's the answer. Jesus. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is God. Jesus is the one who came to earth as a man and he lived a perfect life, a life without sin, a life that was completely obedient to the law of God and to his Father. The law demanded a payment for sin in order for it to be resolved and to be part of the kingdom of God. We have to be righteous just as Jesus was righteous. And so Christ dies on a cross to pay the penalty for that sin. For without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. And he rose again three days later that we might live a new life of righteousness, not a righteousness of our own, but his righteousness, a righteousness that we could never attain in our own effort. We can have all of this by just simply putting our faith and trust in Christ that he has done these things for our sake. This is salvation. This is the great exchange. Jesus takes our sin, even the pain of sin, on himself, and then he gives us his righteousness. Amen? Absolutely. Now, I firmly believe that. I really do, to the bottom of my heart. I just firmly believe that, and I hope I would never deny it. And I pray that you do also. And even then, I struggle with sin. I still struggle and still feel the pain of sin in my life. I still inflict the pain of sin on others. And I'm not sure about the rest of you, but I oftentimes think I'm just a hot mess of sin. Right? Just like, it's, just, it's, it's just like all over the place. And I read through these lists of sins in the Bible, and I see myself in many of those sinful tendencies. I can think of sins against my wife and kids, and I know they've been wounded. I know I've messed up as a husband and a father. I know I've sinned against my coworkers and my neighbors. I know that I have failed to be the witness of Christ to them as I should be. I know I'm not the pastor I ought to be. I've hurt some people by not understanding the concerns they shared with me. I've hurt people by not remembering their names and details of things they were struggling with. I've hurt some people by being too harsh. I've, I've hurt some of you even while making my best attempts to love. And... That, that's just the reality. I have this accuser in my ear all the time just telling me how terrible I really am. And he's right, I am terrible. Now maybe I'm the only one in the room or on the live stream today that feels this way, but I'm exposing my heart and my inner mind on that because I don't believe that I am. 
I think I, I think I understand how this works, this accuser in our lives. This, this, the many people identifying with me in this feeling of failure and despair and the accusations that the evil one sends our way. Now, who could possibly deliver us from this depth of sin? Who could possibly deliver us from the pain that we've experienced from others, the pain that we feel ourselves and how we hurt other people? Well, praise be to God that Jesus Christ can, that he does, and he has. Praise be to God that he's given me the sacred writings which are able to make me wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, see, I'm going to have to have a chat with you here in the room. See, this is where we need to be more like the missionary Baptist congregations. You guys really should have said amen to that. There should be a bunch of people on the live stream right now. I don't know if we have the text available, but they should be going amen to that, right? So I'm going to say it again. I'm going to give you guys a second chance. If you're at home, I'm going to say it again. You're going to amen that because that's the best part. Who could possibly deliver us from this depth of sin? Praise be to God that Jesus Christ can, does, and has. There you go. Praise be to God that he has given us the sacred writings which are able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. 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 They would be proud of us right now. So I just wish there were 400 people in here that we could have done it. So Scripture, what's the point? Scripture is exactly where I go when I have those moments, when I feel that pain. What do I do? I, I open up the word. When I, when I see the sting of sin of, on my life, when I feel the pain that, I, that, I, that my own awareness of my sin's impact on others, Scripture is sufficient for these troubles. In fact, this is a key theological teaching of Christianity. We refer to it as the sufficiency of Scripture. And so if you get out on nine marks or grace to you or desiring God and you search that term, you'll find a bunch of wonderful articles that can teach you in depth about this. But simply put, Scripture gives us all we need for life and godliness. That's what it means. It gives us all we need for life and godliness. If you like a bit more extensive definitions and things, then Scripture is the only God-inspired, without error, and consequently final authority for our Christian faith and living. All other authorities must be placed under or subordinate to Scripture. See, Scripture has a lot to say about sin and its authority to deal with the consequences or the sting of sin. So let's use some examples so that we can better understand how Scripture is sufficient for real-life encounters with sin. So what if the government tells you to abort your child? Well, you disobey, because government's authority is lower than the authority of Scripture. And it clearly states that murder is a sin, and murder is against God's law. Well, what if a doctor tells you to stop disciplining your child? Well, you disobey, because the doctor's authority does not supersede that of Scripture. And Scripture tells us, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from hell. Now, for clarity's sake, the rod here is a metaphor for discipline that brings pain. Please, don't strike your child with a rod. That's abuse, okay? That's not what it's telling us to do. But we do know that a child cannot possibly understand the consequences of their actions or understand how their undisciplined, disobedient life is going to destroy them but they can understand appropriate methods of discipline that brings pain. 
And that's what the Bible is teaching us to do. What if a pastor tells you that Jesus didn't come in the flesh? Well, you ignore him. His authority does not supersede that of Scripture's. And Scripture clearly states he's a heretic and that, and that Jesus did come in the flesh. What if Satan comes and tells you that you're worthless? You have nothing to offer the kingdom like I was talking about a few moments ago? Well, you don't listen to him because his authority is lower than Scripture's and God's. And it says in the Bible that if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he's the propitiation for our sins. Amen. I saw it, John. You can say it out loud. It's not going to scare me. Um, <laughs> all of these authorities, well, set aside Satan there, but all of these authorities are subordinate to Scripture. And that doesn't, but that, but that doesn't mean that they don't have wisdom to share that Scripture is silent on. For example, Paul tells the Romans that let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. And so what does that mean? Well, we should follow the laws that don't contradict the Bible. So pay your taxes. Don't own illegal firearms. Insure your car. Don't gather in groups of 10 or more when we're trying to contain a, a pandemic of the coronavirus. The Bible is silent on those matters. And so we should obey the government because the Bible tells us to do that in its authority. A doctor has great wisdom beyond the Bible to help heal your body. Outside of praying for the great healer to heal you, the Bible is not going to be an authority on how to cure your cancers. The pastor has to make judgment calls that are hopefully biblically informed, but they're not clearly spoken of in Scripture. Um, for example, the elders may have to weigh in on a dispute between two church members where one owes the other money, or perhaps a car was sold and turned out to be a lemon, right? Like, this is helpful because the Bible tells us that Christians aren't to take each other to court, and so we have to weigh in on them, and, but the Bible doesn't tell us specifically how to handle those situations. It doesn't prescribe for us how to resolve those things. The Bible doesn't tell us how we're to run the day-to-day -day operations of a church, it does make it very clear how pastors are to lead the flock by devoting themselves to prayer and preaching of the word. And so we ensure that we do that first and foremost above all things. But whether we buy these particular set of supplies or whether we pick this particular contractor to, to shovel the snow out of the parking lot, like the Bible is not an authority on those things. And so we simply do what is best. So let's ask the question, what then, then, what then does the Bible cover as an authority for life and godliness to us? Well, verse 16 makes that very clear. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So we're going to break this verse down for a bit. First, it tells us why Scripture is sufficient for life and godliness. Namely, because it's the source of its source is God. Its source comes straight from God. Scripture is inspired by God, literally breathed out by God as the men who wrote it were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Jeremiah says, Behold, I have uh, the Lord tells Jeremiah, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. The psalmist in chapter 119, I'm going to quote this psalm a lot, and so I'm just going to say the psalmist says. I won't, I won't keep giving you the references. But he says, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. The sum of God's word is truth. 
Scripture can be trusted without concern, without equivocation, without doubt, without question. It is the Word of God Himself. Now, because it's the Word of God, it's profitable for us in teaching. The Word of God teaches us what is right. It helps us to understand what we are to think and what we're not to think. Hosea said, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. The psalmist says, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. And later he says, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. So if we don't know what the word of God says about living life and godliness, then it's going to be quite difficult for us to live a life that honors God. If we can't identify sin, then it will be exceptionally difficult to address the pain that sin causes. The Bible even teaches us what to think about the coronavirus and its impact. Again, you've had a lot of Scripture shared with you on this, but I'm going to read just a few selected verses from Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by the day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. And so we can see in Scripture that we need not fear because we know that God is sovereign. He is our refuge and strength. And so it teaches us how to think about so many things, about sin, about the things that happen around us in our world. And so what does that mean for you? Well, do all that you can to infuse God's Word into your life. Read it regularly. Hold yourself accountable with the Bible reading plan. Come to church to hear it preach. Join the live stream, absolutely, during this period of time. Attend a care group where we open the Word of God yet again. Talk about it with fellow church members as you share a meal with them. Listen to sermons from trusted preachers online throughout the week. Um, Memorize the Bible. Meditate on it like Bobby's been teaching us in the Gold Digger Sunday School class. Better yet, come to Sunday School. Sing it. Pray it. Teach it to your children. Do all that you can to expose yourself to the Word of God, for it teaches your soul. It teaches your soul. The second, because it's the word of God, it's profitable for us in reproof. A more common word today for reproof is rebuke. And so, in other words, the Bible helps us understand, according to the mind of God, what is wrong around us and what is wrong within us. The psalmist says, you rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. The Bible It is the source for understanding sin as God understands sin. And when we understand sin as God understands sin, we are more motivated to flee youthful passions and to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, as Paul tells Timothy earlier in this letter. When we understand sin as God understands sin, we can participate in the gospel community in lovingly rebuking a brother or sister that is caught up in sin. Now, don't get me wrong, rebuking somebody caught up in sin is never easy. It hurts. It's hard. But it is loving 
to rebuke somebody that's caught up in sin. James tells us in his letter, let him know whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, I know I'm quoting a lot of scripture today, and I hope that's not wearying you, but I just can't think of any better way to say it um, than to use scripture itself, especially when I'm preaching a sermon on the sufficiency of scripture. (laughs) It just seems natural. Um, But again, another one, the author of Hebrews, he says, speaking of God, he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather, rather than pleasant, but later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That's a good thing, to share his holiness. That's the goal of salvation. Parents, if you struggle with disciplining your child, this is why you discipline your child, is it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Because when you rebuke somebody, when repentance occurs, it increases the holiness in the sinner and yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So don't be afraid to confront sin when you see it around you. Now moving to the next benefit we see here in dealing with the pain of sin, we see that because it is God's word, it is profitable for us in correction. As the psalmist again states, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This idea of correction is now shifting our focus from the prevention of sin through teaching and rebuke to the fixing of the problem once it occurs. And that is correction. Now, when Carrie and I were raising our girls when they were younger, we used to use this word all the time. We said, do you want a correction? And that was a helpful thing, because when we were in a grocery store, we could say, do you want a correction? They understood exactly what that meant when we got home, um, and they would change their behavior. But it was also helpful because it focused their minds on the goal of discipline, and that was to correct their errant behavior in order that they would understand how they ought to behave. And that's the goal of correction, restoring a sinner to a right position with God and with others. Paul tells the Galatians, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now remember, the only true way to deal with the sting of sin is to remove it. Correction serves to make right that which was once wrong. Correction deals with sin by restoring a believer's life to righteous behavior. Now finally, because it's God's word, it is profitable for us in training for righteousness. The psalmist again says, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. So if we're going to truly deal with the sting of sin in our life, then we need to remove sin from our life through the death of Christ. But we also need to replace that old man with the new man, the new man that lives a life of righteousness. And so, I conclude with, it is only Christ's righteousness that can deal truly with the sting of sin. The Holy Spirit works in our lives to sanctify us or to make us more like Christ. And as we submit to the teaching of God's Word, we accept the rebuke of God's truth, and we correct our lives to conform to God's truth, we become more like Christ. We share more and more of His righteousness as our lives go on.
This truth is written in the Bible. It's sufficient to address all of the consequences of sin. May God grant us the desire of the psalmist who wrote chapter 119 to consume his word, the grace for his word to conform our lives to Christ, and the mercy of repentance that leads to a knowledge of his truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. And Lord, while I have chosen to deal with the sufficiency of Scripture in the realm of how it helps us overcome our own sin and helps us endure the pain that sin causes us in our lives, there are so many ways that your Scripture is right and good for the things that we face in this life. And I pray that your Spirit would teach us your Word, that we would all be able to see that Scripture is the place we go first when we deal with the pain that we have in our life. That we would go first and that our confidence in Scripture and its words, its truth, that we would be able to stand steadfast in doing those things even when it seems our culture and our society is screaming against us that we are wrong. I pray that you would give us that faith. Pray that we would be able to hold sound to the teaching of your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.